Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 175, week 175, volume 175, number fucking 175. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Jordan of Starve, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with feedback, questions, and what's been going on. We got some outstanding feedback. Thank you for all the feedback from last week's show. But especially a special mention to Brendan. Thank you for reaching out, dude. Appreciated every bit of the kind words you gave me. Thank you, dude. Your timing of your messages was immaculate. You've given me a big boost. So a lot of love. A lot of respect and a lot of appreciation for you. For everyone else listening, inboxes, emails are always open. Don't be afraid. Get in touch. Shoot me a fucking message. Let me know how good I'm doing, how shit I'm doing. Whatever it is, reach out. Always here for a chat. Always look forward to hearing from all of our listeners. Now enough of the ramblings, enough of the jibber-jabber. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Jordan of Starve, and the first thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So for those unaware or uneducated, who the fuck is Starve? Starve are a band from Melbourne, Australia, that you need to know about now if you do not already. They formed around 2017, so far two EPs to their name, and one of them was released this year titled Nausea, and it's safe to say it is the EP of the year so far. Style-wise, this band is just fucking mosh. So good, so sexy, so brutal. Everything I like about this band, I think the majority of our listening base will like too. As I said, this is a band you should know if you don't know already. Really exciting, hot, upcoming Aussie band. And everything these guys do is getting them to bigger and better things. And they thoroughly fucking deserve it. Jordan was a fucking A-grade guest. I thoroughly enjoyed every minute. I hope you do too. That chat with Jordan is coming up now. So... Everyone gets the same start off, and yep. when I talk about you know this um, a band opening your world to music existing, it doesn't need to be a heavy band. You know, I tell guests that mine yep. was five or six. I was into Aerosmith, no fucking clue why, um, but yep. Aerosmith was my jam. Because of Aerosmith, I then discovered that music was something that existed. Was there a band for you like yeah, for that? Sure. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, there was two. There was two bands. There was two predominant points. The first one was when I was about five, mm-hmm. and it was uh, Lincoln Park. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the What I've Done. Oh, not What I've Done. Sorry. Um, I think it was In the End. In the oh, end, yeah. the the music video for In the End. I saw the music video for it on Rage, mm-hmm. and I remember looking at the music video because it was all this weird animated like 
big, uh, you know, the big, the, the, I think it's a music video with the big concrete monsters yeah, and like the, the grass growing over it and stuff. It's bad and, CGI. Um, you look back on it, it's really it's terrible. Bad. Yeah. yeah. It's terrible. But I loved it when I was mm. about five. I was like, that's the coolest music video. And I really loved this song and I really loved it. And that was the first time that I, I think I said to my mom, I was like, what's, th- what's this? Like, what is this music? And my mum went, oh, that's, that's Linkin Park. And I was like, oh, wow, like, how cool is that? And um, I think that, like, the first album I ever owned was not the first album I ever bought. I got my mum to buy Hybrid Theory for me when I was, mm. like, six. And I walked around with that on my my Discman in primary school, so that was <laughs> sick. And um, so that was kind of the first one, but the, the one that really kicked me off was only about two years later. I would have been seven or eight years old. And I was at my uncle's house and my uncle is this like, he, it's funny. I've grown so much into him now. Um, just like really into movies and video games and horror and metal and all that shit. And um, it was just funny because I remember I was about seven or eight and I was in, he had like this little shed that he'd set up like a little video game thing. He had like an old bar in there and like a, like a wood fire heater and shit. And I used to sit in there and he just always have a CD playing and I always, I was always like kind of interested in it, but I remember the first one I heard, I went, oh my God, what is this? This is so sick. And I said to my uncle Darren, I was like, Darren, what, what is this? And he went, oh, that's, um, that's Slipknot. Really? And I went, oh, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah, here, you can just borrow the album if you want. And then he gave me Iowa, which is still to this day, my favorite album of all time. And, um, that was my, that was my first like obsession was I just got my sister to jump on LimeWire and download every single, you know, Slipknot song that there was and everything I could find. And I remember, like, I got into Slipknot. Um, it was just in between Volume 3 and All Hope Is Gone, just between oh, okay. when they came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was coming off the back of all these great Volume 3 tracks, you know, like, it was, like, just when, you know, Dead Memories and Sulphur and, you know... Um, you know, all that sort of stuff was coming out. And then you go into All Hope Is Gone, which a lot of people, you know, shit on. But I love that album because mm. I grew up with it. And it's still fucking bangs. Like that album opens with like blast beats and like Gematria, which is just the coolest guitar riff. Like it's just that whole album is sick. So it was, that was my first like obsession. It was really, really getting into Slipknot. And um, yeah, still to this day, they are, oh, they're, they're on top. Like Slipknot's still one of my favorite bands of all time. Probably my second favorite band ever and iowa Holt's still my favorite album ever so that was my first my first one for sure i think yeah quick side note you're talking about all hope is gone i think it's quite interesting you know i think it's a very good album too i think it's a bit interesting that a band that is at such a level that slipknot were i think people were finding an excuse at the time to pick it apart yes it's not the strongest album but i think anything that came after volume three was never going to be loved as much as volume three so. I agree. I agree. I think they, they hit massive commercial success with volume three mm. because they had all these great songs, you know, like that, like volume three was like, um, fucking, um, shit. What was it? Uh, like blister uh, exists. Blister exists. Yeah. 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 And, um, duality, I think. Oh, was God, what, that? Duality. That's what I'm thinking yeah, of. I'm like, what's, yeah. what's their like most popular song? It, that was duality. So that yeah. was the one that pushed them into, into, into full blown stardom was cause like people who, people who I speak to who don't know anything about heavy music, no duality. Mm. So it's like, 
that was the thing that really pushed them, I think, into full commercial stardom. So everything from that point forward, all the new metal, you know, Iowa and self-titled elitists weren't going to like anything post that. And then all the people who were new just getting into it were like looking back on their old discography and going, oh, wow, this is so good. But then this new stuff was going to come out, be more experimental, a lot more rocky, a lot more singing. Like it's, but the, it was exactly the right direction that I think they needed to go in because there was just such good songs on All Hope Is Gone. And I can still listen to that album front to back and just not have an issue with it. Like I, I think it's great. Um, obviously, there's like a level of nostalgia there for me, but I think that it just, it really holds up. Like, I mean, I I can't listen to Grey Chapter from front to back, but I can mm. listen to All Hope Is Gone from front to back any day of the week. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah just odd because like that that band means the absolute world to me and i yeah I, I would not be doing what i'm doing right now if slipknot hadn't have done what they did so yeah, yeah. last thing on that that album i also just remember that the you know now looking back we know that that's also the album that the band was starting to kind of yeah, they were always self-destructing, but that album, I think... They were really falling apart, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it was yeah. Joey, Rest His Soul, that was his last album. You know, the band... Yep. You know, there's reports <clears throat> that they recorded, actually, an entire album and then didn't release it, scrapped it, and then recorded All Hope Is Gone. So it's quite cr- yeah. quite a crazy period. But I think what's exciting... That was the point. Yeah, go. So that was, that was, that, that was the point that they put um, all nine members into that that the MTV paid to put them all in that mansion. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, half of them were just consistently doing drugs and doing all this. And it was just like, you could tell because they, that, like none of them were, it was, it was such a hostile environment. And you could tell that, you know, obviously um, Paul, Paul uh, Gray uh, also being just the writing powerhouse behind Slipknot was just struggling to get everybody in line. Like you try and, I mean, I struggle to organize, four members of my band let alone <laughs> organizing nine plus an entire team behind the nine mm-hmm. like it's yeah it's it's it, you can tell that that's where it definitely started to fall apart a bit but my god i still i still like that up <laughs> yeah and still yeah. still an iconic band no matter what anyone says um you know but i think it's exciting like you said you know Lincoln Park is an obvious gateway. I think anyone that denies Lincoln Park was yep. a gateway for them, I think, is just in denial because it was just one of those things. 100%. Um, but yeah. it, the question I've got, you know, with, you know, Lincoln Park is, you know, I use, you know, quotations, heavy, but it's not heavy compared sure. to Slipknot. Um, yes. What do you think drew you into Slipknot? Because some people who obviously aren't listening to this chat don't like heavy music because it's too aggressive or whatever but yeah something for you must have clicked and you went mm, i like this at a young age as well yeah i think i think i look back on it now and i know what it was mm-hmm. but at that point in, at that point in time i um i just heard it and something just made me go this is this is so good like i want more of this like there's just something i didn't know what it was i don't know how it was you know a lot of people who don't like music will describe it as like a who don't like heavy music will describe it as like oh it's like a primal like big mm. drums and angry yelling and stuff but that's not what it was i realize now as an as an adult um that i i was uh diagnosed a few years ago with high functioning autism so mm. i get set i get high intense like 
sensory feelings from certain things like mm-hmm. my hearing you know my taste like I, food tastes really good to me like fucking you know I get really excited over food and I get really excited over how things uh look and like I like things like art and I like anything that makes my senses go sort of this like little weird wobbly thing which I now realize hits me from metal more than it hits from anything else so if I hear metal music I hear music that's well constructed it's well put together and then I really get into the, com- the composition of it and just the writing behind it and all that sort of stuff and it just excites me and I realize now that that's just the way my brain is wired that it just hits this fuzzy part in my brain so when I heard so not for the first time my brain just went <laughs> and I was like oh this is the best thing ever and and um and then I just needed more and they had to find more and to explore more. And then obviously that evolved into me wanting to do it myself. So yeah, very, so, very, 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 very cool. <laughs> I think that that's, that's really cool that, you know, you have that sensory overload and something as creative and wonderful as heavy music is, gives you that sensory overload because you're right. Yeah. It's the music and everything that's happening in the music, but then there's the artwork, there's the visuals, um, there's everything yeah so is that what age did you figure out or what part of your life did you figure out that that was part of you um i reckon i would have been 12 or 13 when wow. i figured out that that okay. was what i was doing because i used to be um fun fact about me uh that anyone who knows me personally will know full extent but a lot of people who don't know will be like what what the fuck for real i used to be a professional dancer back in the day nice. um i used to do hip-hop ballet contemporary tap like classical you know neoclassical all that sort of stuff i used to do dancing i used to do musical theater i used to do all that sort of stuff so being on stage is always something that i wanted to do and i always did it to the best of my ability and to the best of what i could do and it wasn't until i hit probably 12 or 13 that i started going consistently to local shows and going to see bands and stuff that i went maybe that's what I want to do. Maybe that's it there. And then, you know, I'd go to a local show when I was 12 and go see, you know, local Australian bands. I go see bands like, you know, glorified and, you know, when I exult were around back in the day and all that stuff. And it was the point that I was playing drums at that point. I learned how to play um, kit in high school and I really enjoyed that, but it was when I'd go see the bands and the vocalist would, um, like get in the crowd and I remember my first ever mic grab and I went oh I'm not bad at that and then I kind of just <laughs> I kind of kept going to shows and I just had that urge to be like at the front and hope that hopefully I could sing the words to one of my favorite songs and then that just pushed further and further and further into me going like oh man I really want to I really want to do this and then I just annoy the absolute fuck out of my parents at home by just screaming in my bedroom for you know as long as I could and terribly by the way like no one's good at screaming when they first start so it's like uh god bless my parents for uh for dealing with me through that but um yeah they've been so supportive of it yeah I think your parents were probably glad in all hindsight that you weren't smashing a drum kit they're probably like look we can put up with this I know Jordan sounds yeah. like he's lost the plot, but it's better than hearing that drum <laughs> kit being smashed. Yeah, well, I had a I had a drum kit in the I had a drum kit in the um in the garage that I wasn't allowed to use while my parents were home, so I'd have to wait till <laughs> they were both at work and then use it at home for like an hour until they got home, and then um and then yeah, they'd come home and then I'd go into my bedroom and start you know screaming along to Slipknot, but um yeah, it was just I yeah, it was it was awesome, yeah. but um yeah. It's, I got obsessed with it, yeah. You mentioned a little bit of dancing. So do you still have yeah. the moves? Oh, man, I can whip them out at a party like you wouldn't believe. Nice. But 
I don't do it. I don't do it. Um, I don't do lessons or anything anymore. I, used to, I it got to the point where I did dancing for so long that the next natural progression of dancing was that I was supposed to become a dance teacher. And I was, a, I was a dance teacher for about four years, but I was a dance teacher between when I was, um, I started teaching when I was 15 wow. and I was teaching full classes of adults at 16, 17 and 18. And it was a bit too young for me. I think I felt, I, I think I felt a bit too much pressure at that point. And I didn't, I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do with myself, but everyone around me was being like, oh, but you're so good at it. So why would you not do it? And I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do this. What if I want to do something else? And it just got to the point where, you know, I remember it was, it was an actual breaking period. It was at a it was breaking point when I was 18 and I went and I did a competition in Melbourne and I did a hip hop solo competition. And this lady was like, oh, why don't you come, you know, try out for a scholarship at my dance studio in America? And I went, no. I don't think I will. And everyone was like, what? Why aren't you going to do that? Like, that's just the most obvious thing to do. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't, I, I, I want to do other stuff. Like I want to, hmm. I want to play metal and I want to, I want to go to shows and I want to, I don't want to give it up just to go dance at some, you know, play crock pots dance school in fucking America. Like I don't, I don't give a shit about that. And then I just started, I think that was the point that everyone went, oh, okay, I guess we can't actually make him do anything. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I just, I just, I literally, I went cold turkey, man. Like, I went from doing it for, you know, 14 years of my life to just None. stop, like, no more. And um, I think that was the point that I was like, okay, music, let's do music. And then I started a bunch of shit bands. I played a bunch of shit shows. Like, everyone has their shitty early bands that they talk about. Um and I did, I had a few and then, uh, yeah. And then, and then, and then staff started about three and a half years ago and yeah, start. Now, start. I want to, last thing about the dancing before I want to go back to a little bit of the early years is, um, so when the pit opens, uh, you're actually able to add a little bit of, um, unique flavor to your, your mosh moves. Yeah. I've had a, um, I've, I've had, I've had comments pretty much the entire time I've been going to shows is Dude, that I have love a it. very, very clean mosh technique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've got, I've got control over my body and I can, I can get my, I can move quite fast. And, um, apparently, apparently I'm quite good. Apparently I'm quite good at a two step. I throw a oh. very smooth two step, which I'm stoked about. So, oh. um, yeah, I think it's, it's also just the thing of just spatial awareness is a yeah. big thing as well. Cause I like to, when I go in pits, I throw down very, very hard. I like getting, it's not, I don't do it as much as I used to. I used to do it to every band, but now it's more like I'll do it to, you know, specific stuff that I feel like, oh yeah, this is sick. Let's throw down. It's usually my mates bands and stuff, but um, you know, it's at the point where I'll, I'll throw a spin kick and, but I'll be able to see, I can, because I've done dancing for so long, I can tell where my leg is and I'm not just cracking people in the head every 10 seconds and it's like my leg will go up and like i remember like at the the last show before lockdown i went and saw dreg and this guy was throwing down and i was throwing down and i I did a spin kick and i felt my leg go up and i felt it just like rest here as i stopped it and i was like oh i still got it i can stop my leg midair if i want to no worries (laughs) do people um, you say people make comments to people you know i've never seen it but i would love to see this yeah you're throwing down and do people do you hear people go he looks majestic god he's beautiful (laughs) yeah people have said yeah majestic is one of the words yeah Yeah, not not fucking surprised it's a good thing yeah apparently it's a Apparently, it's a very smooth, apparently a very, very smooth movement, which I'm, I'm quite proud of. I, I take pride, I take pride in my mosh moves because, <laughs> you know, anyone who's not into metal looks at moshing and goes like, "Wow, what a bunch of fucking idiots! What are they doing karate for?" And then for me, I'm like, "Nah, it's good. Look at me go." <laughs> now, um, I want to come back to you know, so you, 
you mentioned Slipknot, and then this is around the time LimeWire is going off. It's kicking off, you know. Fuck, I remember those days. They were great. Give the family computer a virus, you know, all those things. But yes, yes, um, many, many times. What were you like with discovering music? Was it were you very much a sponge, like it sounds like? And how did you go about finding other bands? Yeah, so I I'm from Ballarat originally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So Ballarat being a not it's it's not a small town anymore, but it has a small town feel to it. It always has. It's a country town and so it's a, a hub, if you will. Um in the middle of Victoria. So I um I grew up in Ballarat and there was a very small select people of heavy metal in Ballarat. Um so all the people that were into metal when I was younger, they were way older than I was. Mm. And I didn't get to go to many shows in Ballarat because there wasn't many to begin with. Um, so a lot of the music I got into, I kind of just found myself. Um, and a lot of that was, um, cause there wasn't, I, I couldn't really get word of mouth cause I didn't really know many other people that were into it. It was more, I found it by, um, you know, my, my sister was really into that, like, um, early two thousands to mid two thousands emo sort of period. Mm-hmm. So I got into bands like my chemical romance and the used and all that stuff through her, uh, like panic at the disco and all that sort of stuff. And I really liked that. Um, you know, I still, still love fallout boy who fucking cares. Like they're the best, but, um, it's like, I, I got into that sort of stuff through her and then everything else I kind of just found either through my uncle who, you know, he was into Slipknot and stuff, but he also got me into bands like Slayer and, you know, my cousin's ex-boyfriend who I met when I was like six years old, I didn't realize until I was 12 was the vocalist of Witch Grinder. So I started like going and listening to Witchcrunner because I was like, oh, I met him like six years ago. No worries. And then I liked that. And then I got into, um, you know, a lot of like some, you know, obviously everyone got into Metallica and Slayer and Iron Maiden and stuff. But I think it was, um, I think I discovered through my brother as well. My brother was super, super into um, stuff like Faith No More. Mm-hmm. um and like Jane's Addiction um and like that sort of era so I kind of got into those sort of things and then they kind of branched me into other stuff but um to get into the really heavy stuff I think the the main way I got into it was I it was actually a weird series of events I watched Ace Ventura Pet Detective if you remember that movie Cannibal Corpse and there's a scene in yeah Cannibal Corpse we're in Ace Ventura and um and I was watching it and I went, I remember I went to my mom, I think I was like 10 and I went to my mom and I was like, mom, there's a music where they just go, like, what is that? And the, the mom's like, oh, I think that's, I think that's death metal. I was like, what is death metal? And then I remember seeing the words death metal on a magazine when I was about probably 11. And I remembered it because I was like, oh, that's what kind of corpse up. And that magazine was blunt. Mm-hmm. And I started buying blunt magazines and they had their ear bleeders collection cds and then that was that was how i started getting into the super heavy shit because you know when you're buying ear bleeders i've still got my ear bleeder cds at my mom and dad's house and you look through it and it's all bands that are just on top of the world at the moment you know like bring me the horizon doing suicide season and like of mice and men just before they you know released the flood and like um you know miss may i and memphis may fire and you know even bands like all that sort of stuff that I was really getting into around that time was all through those earbleeders CDs. And then of course there's the wonderful world of YouTube recommended. And I just watch music videos and then just scroll through the YouTube recommended and find all these obscure, weird medical bands that I really, really liked. And um, yeah, it was awesome, man. Like that was, 
that was kind of the the, the 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 running order of how that all happened. Yeah. Now you also mentioned like you were around twelve ish, you know, when you started getting to a live setting. Now for yep. for listeners who aren't Australian, trying to explain Ballarat is it? I mean, been there many a time. It's a country town. It's it's in a main state. It's a country town, but it's still an established town. But live music in that town is very very rare and it's very very yep. rare if you're into heavy music so 100 my yep. roundabout way of coming to is what was the first gig you got to witness and did you find being in ballarat during these very influential years did you feel you were limited for your musical endeavors yeah 100 percent. yeah 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 absolutely like my first music my, my first band that i ever saw like i saw a bunch of like you know being in ballarat i saw you know little blues bands and stuff like at cafes and stuff with my parents or like my cousin my cousins used to play in this um this uh sort of surf rock rockabilly band called the yard apes back in the day so i used to watch them play a lot but i it wasn't really my style so i kind of just watch it and enjoy it and i've still got one of them seven inches somewhere but um i um the first show I ever went to, the first like concert, because it wasn't a show, it was a concert. I saw Metallica. Mm-hmm. Um, because my my uh, one of the people I was, was actually one of the, one of the people I was dancing with, her mum was like, Oh, you like Metallica? My son loves Metallica. They're gonna go see it. We got a spare ticket. Do you want do you want? And I begged my mum to buy it. So I went with them to go see Metallica. And that was 2010 was the year that was because I'm 23 so it was like 20 2010 i would have been yeah it would have been 12 and i saw um it was uh the sword fear factory and metallica mm-hmm. and it was awesome man so like i'd never seen that before and i remember i came home from that show and the next day my neck was so sore from just head banging all the time and like you know my ears were ringing and it was so awesome and then i just i just needed more of that so i the next thing that I did after that was I think I had discovered uh, August Burns Red through LimeWire and I went and saw, I, I heard through somebody who went to a different high school to me who was like, oh, August Burns Red are coming to Australia. You're going to come see him. And then I asked my mum to look it up and she found the ticket link and all that sort of stuff. So I got a ticket to go see. And that was still to this day, probably one of the most influential shows I've ever been to, which was the craziest lineup now that I think about it. It was glorified. It was North Lane just before they released Discoveries. Mm-hmm. It was Bless the Fall just after they released Witness. And it was August Burns Red. And it was 2011. And it was awesome. Like, that was the, I think that was the point that I was like, I need to do this all the time. And being in Ballarat, I had to catch a train that mm-hmm. took an hour and a half each way. So if I was going to Melbourne to go see a show, like an all ages show that finished at like 10 o'clock at night, my mum would be like, you can't go, you can't go in unless you find somewhere to stay at a friend's house. So it was like, I was like 12, 13 years old running around Melbourne with a bunch of my friends, you know, <laughs> seeing a bunch of music and stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to do dumb shit, but my mum was very trusting in that sense. And she was like, yeah, like, you'll be okay. Like you're with a group of friends. It's all good. Um, but then being in Ballarat, when a band came to Ballarat, it was so rare that everyone would go so everyone who was into metal would just rock up so you know you'd have some some very rare tours would come through like i remember in hearts wake did their divination tour and did a show at the ballarat mechanics institute um north lane did the discoveries tour and went through ballarat um 
Thy Artist Murders played there a few times. Uh, there was a few local Ballarat bands that people really, really, really got around. Uh, well, two main ones, to be precise. There was a Newey Breeds Malice and Nicholas Cage Fighter. And they were mm. the two main, main, um, you know, really, really heavy bands. And so anytime they played shows, everyone, everyone went. And um, and there's another band that, that was from Ballarat called Goodwill Hunting that haven't been around for a very long time, mm. but they used to pull heaps of heaps of mates. Um so like I used to go to all their shows, I'd go see all them and do all that. But um yeah, being in Ballarat, you weren't super chock for choice on stuff you could do. You just had to go to Melbourne. So I remember like being in high school, you know, pushing to when I was like 15, 16. And this is the point when I stopped giving a shit about school. Um and I stopped realizing I realized that nothing there was really doing anything for me and no one really knew how to treat me because I was a little bit I was a little bit different and I was very much on the spectrum so they just didn't know how to deal with me so I was um I was getting sick of it and I was getting bored so I would wag school I'd just be like yeah fuck this and I'd just leave school get a bus into town get a train from Ballarat to Melbourne go see a band at Wrangler Studios and then text my mom and be like, hey, I'm staying at my mate's place. I'll be back around like seven and then come back. And she wouldn't even know that I didn't go to school. I just got on a train for like an hour wow. and a half. I went and saw some bands. Um, but yeah, it was, um, I, I think that was the point where I, uh, I started just like going to all this stuff myself and be like, I need to go. And then, you know, that obviously carried on into adult life where I go to shows, multiple shows a month still to this day like i just obviously not we're in fucking lockdown but uh when we're not i'm just i spend half my pay on tickets man like i go see mm. all my friends bands i go see bands that i want to see like just yeah love it love it always loved it well i think i think one thing that you mentioned <clears throat> that i think was very important which unfortunately you know is kind of died is the all ages show or the under 18 show yeah very important yeah, for you 100%. obviously you know getting so out. So important, yeah. Why do you I, um, think it's dead? Uh, look, I think it's I think it's just venues, man. Like mm. venues just don't make enough money off off younger people. Like you know, a lot of venues make most of their revenue on drink sales, and mm. you can't serve alcohol to people under eighteen. So their whole thing is, why would I even bother putting on a show for people under eighteen if I'm not going to make any money? And as much as that sucks, it's kind of fair because the venues wouldn't be around if they didn't make money from alcohol. So when you've got a lot of venues that used to be around that, um, you know, used to put on heaps of all ages shows. Like I remember like the reverence hotel used to put on mm -hmm. a lot of all ages shows, but the reverence got sold to somebody bought and then rebranded as like an old Irish pub. And now they don't even have bands there anymore. Yeah. No. And like things like, um, there was the, you know, you remember like, Oh, well, What's the, what was it? Was it the, what was the one in Foots, Footscray? Phoenix? Oh, the Phoenix, yeah. the Phoenix Youth Centre. Yeah. yeah. Phoenix Youth Centre was awesome. And um, I used to go to heaps of shows there, but the thing about the Phoenix is that the, that also, the Youth Centre got sold to somebody else and now they charge a couple grand to hire out that venue, um, which, you know, back in the day, I remember talking to people who used to run those shows like back when, you know, there was like small people running shows. I remember when Ash Hole was like running mm -hmm. little, little, little shows there. He was paying fuck all to hire that venue because they were like, yeah, we don't care. Like just put on a show, have people come down. It'll be cool. Good community sort of thing. But now it's just way too expensive to run all ages shows and people don't want to do it. The only place that still does it to this date and still loves it and still is hundred percent support is Wrangler Studios. Yeah. But Wrangler Studios is just that little bit out of the way for a lot of people. Like I'll still go to Wrangler to go see bands I like and stuff. And we, we will happily play an all ages show there when we can. But it's just we've had like a couple couple of offers to play all ages there, and they've just not been able to line up, which really sucks because 
I know how important those shows were to me. And if I didn't get to go to all ages shows between when I was 12 and 17, then like I, w- I wouldn't be half as into the heavy music that I'm into now. Like all ages shows are so important. Um, but I do remember how much my world opened up even more the second I turned 18. And I was like, I can go see all these other, all this other music that I had missed out on seeing before. And then, God, that was exciting. That was mm-hmm. that was so much fun. Because then I because then I was seeing you know international bands that didn't play all edges shows. Like I was going and seeing you know the really heavy stuff that I wanted to see. I was going and seeing you know I remember like the first thing I went and saw after I turned eighteen. I went and saw Mastodon and Gojira. Oh yeah. And I was like yeah. I was like this is the sickest thing ever. And I was like Gojira just changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> so um. Yeah, like I remember just like getting into that. Fuck, that was cool, man. Like, I think one thing that, you know, with the all ages, which it's important because it's brought through bands of your generation. I think it's really important. And the thing that I get worried about, you know, I'm an older head, I'm in my late 30s. I get worried that because there's not as often all ages shows or the ability to have all ages shows, I'm worried about the next generation. You know, there's. Yeah, I agree. Where, I agree. Where, where are the next bands when they're 14, 15, where are they going to play or where are they going to go to watch shows? It's really yeah. worrying. It's mm. 100%. Mm. Like, I'm hoping that they do something kind of similar to what we did in Ballarat, which is people got into bands regardless of what we could do and we played backyards. We played mm-hmm. house shows. We played all that sort of stuff. And I think house shows are a bit of a also a bit of a dying breed, but my God, I would love to see a resurgence of house shows. Some of the best shows I ever went to. The first show I ever played in any band, I played in a Rage Against the Machine cover band and I played drums at my friend's house when I was 14 years old. And everybody else there was 18, 19, and they were all doing drugs and getting drunk. And I'm like 14 behind this kid just playing in somebody's <laughs> living room. And people are like swinging off the ceiling and like jumping onto each other. And that was the coolest shit I'd ever done. Like still to this day, one of my favorite memories. And I've just been craving to do house shows ever since. So I think house shows would be the thing that would bring it back, but people need to be open to having people play in their backyard, which is yeah. a bit of a pain these days because everyone's tied off. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, I mean, last thing on those like all ages, I still remember going and seeing and I wasn't I wasn't underage. I was mid twenties and I went to Phoenix. I saw upon a burning body, because um, <laughs> I I think this was upon a burning body before they decided to do that publicity stunt where they claimed that the singer got kidnapped. So we're talking first uh, or yeah. second album. Yeah, they were still kind of. Um, they they started wearing all those like white button up shirts and the black ties and mm-hmm. getting all fancy Texas. Yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> that, yeah, I remember seeing them at um, yeah that. Phoenix, and I remember the place was ballistic, man. You know, two hundred odd kids who were majority under under eighteen. You know, we need that back. So, uh, you know, understand understandably, Ash was a driving force behind it, um, and a yep, special mention 100%. to him for what he did uh, for the scene. But hopefully, someone listening who is Australian, you might see an avenue to start bringing him back. Um, so well, we've got we've got some really good. Uh, new booking agencies that have popped up in the past little while. Like um, one of my best mates, uh, Josh Hockey, is running Lost Soul Bookings and he's been booking mm-hmm. left, right and center, all these great shows. Um, there's a kid, new kid on the block, his name's Aiden. 
Aiden is 15 years old and Aiden has just started his first booking company called Fire and Knife Bookings and he books most Wrangler shows. That kid is so switched on. He is just going to get better and climb and do more and more. He just books bands that he loves and that's all he cares about. So Aiden's killing it. So yeah, shout out to Aiden, shout out to Josh. They're great. But um, yeah, there's 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 definitely a, a gap for mm. new booking agencies in Australia at the moment because obviously, you know, Destroy Alliance kind of kind of run the show, but yeah. Destroy Alliance kind of just they kind of just yeah. book bands at a certain level and above, and there is a lot of space below that level. So they just need yeah. There's there's always going to be room to book bands like that and to do fun stuff. Like I remember when I was going to local shows was when Ash was just running his shows, and then there was like uh, the the original basis of Starv Liam. He used to run a booking agency called Garage Agency. If you remember Garage Agency, they used to put on heaps of shows for like for bands like oh fuck who like Signal to Firing Squad yeah. and like Far West Battlefront <laughs> yeah. and like all that sort of stuff back in the day. Yeah. So he used to put on a lot of shows for them. And um I was like, I remember going to one of Ash's first show. Uh, one, like one of the first shows that I ever went to of Ash Hull's shows. And that was the Trapped Under Ice, yeah. 50 Lions, I was and there. um and an Iron Mind in like mm. 2011 at that mm. massive uh, that massive warehouse. Oh my god, that was the coolest show ever, man. <laughs> that was out. Um, fuck, where was that? I remember where it was because it was. It was a big fucking warehouse, and it was sick. And I think it, it went huge. for two days, didn't it? Or it was, there was a two yeah, day. Yeah, it was massive. Yeah, oh. there, was, there was a day one and a day two, and it was yeah. different bands each day. But um, was, yeah, I remember trapped on. I remember I saw trapped under ice. It was just when they released um, big kiss, big kiss, good night. Yeah. Oh. oh. So good, so good. <laughs> I love that band. And um, now I want to come back. We've had some lovely. Sure. Uh, I want to come back to people like this is great, you guys. But can we hear about about, about Jordan and his uh, musical endeavors? <laughs> so, um, one thing first is you know you mentioned drumming for a while. Why yep. the fuck did you pick a drum kit? Because to be honest, anyone listening that's a drummer, I'm very jealous because you're too talented. So why did you decide <laughs> drum kit first? Um, I picked drum kit because my when I was younger, when I was like five or six, my parents realized that I needed to get put into something that was um, something that I could do, something I could like, you know, touch and do that sort of stuff. So most of my parents put me into dance and stuff. But what they also did was they put me at that dance school um, there was a program and that program was called boy stuff and boy stuff was a, a program for kids um, usually between the ages of like uh, seven and about six six and nine I think was about the age bracket and it was boys mm-hmm. boys would go in there and they'd be allowed to do you know there was like it was split into three segments there was dancing there was drama and there was music and the music aspect was percussion so it was African percussion mm-hmm. so I actually learned how to play African West African percussion for 10 years before I learned how to do um, kit. So I transitioned from African percussion. I was playing djembe's and dundun's and, you know, like sangbans and all that stuff, like old traditional West African instruments. I was doing, you know, I was really into that and um, I played that for years and I loved it. Um, And then the next transition was I went to high school and when I was in high school, because of my dancing background, my parents applied for me to get a performing arts scholarship, which I ended up getting, but I didn't like the dancing aspect there because they weren't that good. My high school didn't really know what they were doing. 
So they put me into the musical program and I was like, oh, I'd like to learn bass. And I, I picked up a bass and I realized at that point how small my hands are. <laughs> and I still to this date, I'm so sad because I'm, I, I've got tiny little fucking hands, dude. I can't reach the frets, like no way. Um, so I was like, what can I do? And I was like, well, I'd, I'd like to play kit. And um, I remember I got to my drum lesson and he's like, oh, do you, uh, do you know any drums at all? I was like, oh, I played African percussion for the past like six years. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. He's like, can you play anything on a kit? And I was like, I can play one thing. And I played the the snare break in Psychosocial. <laughs> he's like, he's like, ah, it's better than what most people come in here with. And then... I would just sit there while he was teaching other lessons and I would just sit and like just practice on the electric kit. And I think I just picked it up then. Like I just took me a little bit, but I just picked it up, picked it up, picked it up. And the more lessons I did with, uh, you know, um, Dave, who was my teacher, who is just a great drum teacher in Ballarat. Um, he's just fantastic. And he just taught me everything. And he's a jazz drummer, but he was like, he liked metal, but he was like, he was a bit weary on it. Cause he, I, I just wanted to, blast and do double kicks and all that sort of stuff but um yeah just drums just clicked something for me and i loved it loved drums um still to this date i think i'm still considering i've been look, i've been eyeing off electric kits on on uh on marketplace and stuff for a, a good like two years now just being like oh i should get another one i should get another one because i'd love to get back into it especially during lockdown like i'd love to just brush up on my chops and see if i can still play like I, I played drums for six years and in that six years I got a lot better than I thought I was going to get. And I started being able to like, I was playing, you know, some of the easier North lane songs. I was playing like in hearts wake stuff. Like I was playing pretty good metal drums, but I, I, um, yeah, I feel like I, I, I dropped it when I realized how much cheaper vocals were. <laughs> <laughs> and easier. Let's be honest. Like with, when you rock up to a show now as a vocalist, you yeah. don't need to bring a whole bootload of fucking instruments. No, no, no. I just bring. I I just I just bring two tubs of merch, and that's it. <laughs> that's my that's my load in. I come in, I set up the merch while everybody sets up their shit, and I put everything together, and I set up my nice little merch station, and then I just fuck around for three hours <laughs> until the show. <laughs> so it's um, yeah, it's awesome, man. Carrying merch up a flight of stairs is a lot easier than carrying a a, a bass drum and fucking snares yeah. and shit. Hundred oh, percent. But I will. I will say my uh, our, our drummer, our drummer Todd, is very grateful that I did play drums for so long because I help him set up in half the time because I know where everything goes. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I finish a set, I'll drop the mic, turn around, and start undoing cymbals. And it's like, and he's like, "Thank God that you actually know what you're doing." <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Now, you know, as we know through things said earlier, and also what I was saying there, you know, you now known as a vocalist you know you're not known as a yes. as a drummer um yep. doesn't mean we can call you a drummer if you want a drummer vocalist um, i i prefer i prefer probably just vocalist just i think vocalist. i'm much better at that yeah. than yeah. i am at drums now so. Um, <laughs> so you know you mentioned earlier that you were kind of like in the room kind of screaming along to music for a while um you know yep. so was that really how you started finding out if you had a voice because we're also talking about a yep. time when Online avenues are accessible everywhere, you know, Melissa Cross and all this shit. Yes, so I, we've, we've all seen the Zen of Screaming. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know people yeah, people have even seen it if they're not into trying to become a metal vocalist. So it's... Yeah, yeah. So how did you become a vocalist kind of in the early stages of Starve? Because what you do now 
is obviously developed over the years. But how did you initially yeah. get your voice to being at a stage that you were comfortable to perform? Um, well, I was kind of I was kind of renowned around the Melbourne heavy scene for a while for being that guy that always does guest spots, even though he's not in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like I think the 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 Backbone podcast they used to refer to me as. Uh, I think it was, they always called me the bearded warrior for the longest time. Yes, they do. The guy who went to shows. They do. Yeah. So I, um, I referred to that for a while and then I became, they referred to me as, uh, the best vocalist who's not in a band. And then (laughs) I found a band and then I became the best vocalist who's found a band. So it's kind of (laughs) funny that it kind of evolved like that, but I guess I, I would just go to shows and I'd see my friends' bands play and I'd get up and do guest spots with them, but I wouldn't want to, I, I, I would try and sound like their guest spot did, right? And I was trying to find my voice and, you know, you want to do this and you want to sound like this vocalist. Like I remember like I, when I was, I was, I was always in a crux of who I wanted to sound like. Do I want to sound like, you know, uh, Chris from Motionless in White or do I want to sound like Phil Bozeman or do I want to sound like, you know, this and that and whoever, do I want to sound like CJ from the IR, like anybody who I wanted to sound like. And then it wasn't until I had to sit down and start writing stuff for Starve that I realized I just need to sound like me, mm-hmm. but I had mm-hmm. been doing it for so long without really knowing what I sounded like. So that just came through practice. So that was, we recorded Mantis as just a fuck it, whatever, let's give it a go. And I didn't really know what I was doing and it wasn't, till we started playing all those songs live that I realized that I'd actually just been recording it in a lower register than what I actually scream at. Mm. So I've been trying to be a lot heavier than what I thought my vocals were. And it wasn't until I was playing the songs live and I realized that I, I wasn't doing them the same as I recorded them because that wasn't what I felt comfortable with. So it was just a lot of trial and error, a lot of practice and a lot of, a lot of shows, a lot of, um, you know, band practices, a lot of like trying to figure out how I wanted to do, you know, whatnot. And um, it wasn't until I reckon it wasn't until like even recording Shiver that I was recording that song. And I went, I don't think I'm going to do it like this. I think mm-hmm. if we're going to play it live, my voice is going to be a, a little bit in sort of a mid range register. So I started recording all my stuff in that. And then I started practicing at, band practice new techniques and songs that we'd already written and trying to you know change it up and finding what works for me and then it was literally just playing show up a show up a show up a show and finding what was most comfortable and what felt right where and what warm-ups i had to do and if i had to warm down and all that sort of stuff and it was is honestly just just time it's a lot of time that you put into it and it's a lot of practice um and yeah it was you, you can you can tell it's as, as we spoke about before you started recording, it's night and day between Mantis and Nausea. And that's because we all found out what we do best. And we all just worked with that. And um, I feel like my vocals between Mantis and Nausea have just gone fucking so much further than I thought that they would. But I still feel like there's so much more room. Are you someone who's comfortable hearing his voice? Like if you, you know... I wasn't. Okay. Now I now I now I am. Okay. Yeah. I I think you have to get used to it. Yeah. You, you just have to. Um it's never going to be you're always going to be more critical of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that's why I like having um you know Alessio who plays guitar in Starve. Alessio sits in on all the vocals because he writes all the music because he's a fucking genius, but he sits in on all the vocals because he does backing vocals as well and he helps me you know chop and change my lyrics and stuff like that and um he just having that 
second and then third opinion from our um you know, our producer Scotty, who plays the uh, Scotty Simpson, who plays mm-hmm. in Alpha Wolf. So having having Scotty and Alessio both there just to give us, just to give me like the feedback that I need is just just that is so much more useful, man. Like it's yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, dude, we'll we'll come into uh, nausea, but dude, like fucking, you know, uh, Nick Brown has said it on Backbone, and I. F- 470 million percent agree that fucking vocal delivery is like this year alone it's like the benchmark man people are gonna thanks man they need to fucking step up their game after nausea came out and (laughs) thank you man yeah the other thing is now your pressure is on for yourself on the next one yeah i gotta get better eh? (laughs) right no you just gotta maintain it I just got to, I just got to maintain it. I, um, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've really been, well, I've been pushing myself. There's always, there's always room to get better. There's always room for improvement. If you think you're the best at something, you're a dumbass. Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm. to, there's always room to get better. And I, I have taken that very much into account because I was really proud of how I did. I was really proud of how I did nausea, but there's still sections I listen to and go, I could do something cooler there. Could do something different. Could do this. Could take that and turn it into something else. And so I'm doing senior lessons at the moment, which I have never done. Um, which is awesome. So I'm doing singing lessons with someone who is a fantastic heavy teacher as well. Um, and uh, been doing a lot of that, which is awesome, um, which has just made me realize that I've never been good at singing, but I reckon I can, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, but I'm not comfortable with it yet, so I'll figure it out when we get to it. But um, it's like I feel like I could use just the techniques from that in getting better and um i feel like i've always i'm because i am a meticulous perfectionist Mm -hmm. and i have been in every single aspect of my life like if anybody who knows me knows what i'm into i'm into specific things and those things i know everything about and that is just the biggest the biggest like case of you know (laughs) having (laughs) having a high functioning autism is i get into something and i will just obsessed mm-hmm. and i will pick it apart and i'll become obsessed with it. like my hobbies and stuff i've got a few of them that i'm super into like i'm really i, I keep a lot of reptiles and fish like mm-hmm. I, I make my own i build like fish tanks and, and reptile enclosures and stuff and i have watched thousands and thousands of hours of youtube and i've read books and i've done everything about the best ways to do this best way to keep that and you know what water parameters and what te- temperature gradients and microclimates and all this bullshit that I want to learn about and, you know, making bioactive substrate and all this just ridiculous shit that nobody cares about, but I fucking love it. So I just get super into it. And I'm exactly the same with that as I am with vocals. I listen to everything that I'm doing. I look into every single aspect of what I can do. I learn every single technique I can, but then what I want to be good at, I pick what I want and I just, focus on that as much as I possibly can. And I, I just think about it for hours and hours and what I can do and how I can do it better. And even when I'm not actively thinking about it, my brain's still doing it all the time. Like I'm just always trying to come up with new ways to do stuff and how can I write this and what do I want to do next? And oh, I liked this from this vocalist. How does he do that? I wonder if I can do that in my own way sort of thing. Like I'm always, the, the, the cogs are always turning. I'm always trying to think of new stuff just consistently and how I want to improve not only myself and my vocals, but how I can initiate that with the rest of my band as well and how we can all get better at what we're doing and how we can all just look into stuff and send it to people and figure out what we're doing. So, yeah, it's um, a lot of work. Love it. It's good. It's good. Like, dude, like some bands out there and some artists might be a bit envious because it's a model that – 
you know, if you want to be good at something, you got to put that time and dedication into it. And if for you that yeah. means thinking about it, probably even when you're having a shit, that means think about it while you're having a shit. Yeah. Um, I love it, man. Like, yeah. That's the way you got to be. Yeah. Um, and it shows. That's it, man. It's always, always room to be better. Exactly. Always room to improve, and you got to, you got to act on it. So yeah. Exactly. Now, starve. Starve, who is the band, of course, as everyone knows, because at this stage they know that because they heard the intro of the podcast, so they know it's Starve. <laughs> um, yes. But, you know, it formed around 2017, 2018-ish kind of thing. Yeah, it was like the end of the end of 20... So, so we started putting stuff together at the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. We didn't play a show until the start the end of 2018 mm-hmm. um and we didn't release anything until i think december of 2018 so mm-hmm. it was like really really late but we'd been putting stuff together for ages but my god what a what an absolute fucking mission that was to uh to get everything done because we went through so many everything that we try and do in starve there is a thousand things that stop us from doing that and then we have to figure out a way around it but it's like i was speaking to alessio about it the other day every time we try and do something it like a door will fall in, but then that falling in will open another one. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's this weird in and out of us trying to be like, Oh fuck, but this didn't work. And then something will just happen. And we're like, Oh, well that's, that, that takes over that then. So we had a lot of issues with Mantis. Like we had to re-record that EP three times and it was three. three. So three, the first guy that recorded it, he, <laughs> we recorded the whole EP, the whole thing. And then he took my vocals and went to stretch one section and he stretched the whole thing and then saved it and then couldn't reverse it. So every single audio file was flexed and unsalvageable. So that had to get scrapped completely. And then (laughs) the second one, we had to do it. And then we were recording it with Mikey from the gloom in the corner Mm -hmm. and his laptop crashed and his hard drive buzzed out so we then had to do it a third time and it was just such a fucking mission man but um yeah dude it was just every time we try and do something something fucked up but um yeah we started in we started officially at the end of 2018 and then we just it's been non-stop playing shows trying to get new stuff trying to plan new things since then so yeah for, for anyone who's not from Australia listening, you know, what's it like for uh, a, a young band or a fresh band on the scene with getting shows? Is that something that has been, you know, obviously you make your network and your connections. So, you know, you link up with bands like Anticline and Gloom and, you know, you yep. form a friendship so you can get on each other's shows. But what's the initial yep. steps like and difficulties that you faced getting a show? Well, the, the, the thing is, is I find that as much as people don't want to admit it, networking is everything. Mm-hmm. It is, mm-hmm. it's, it's who, it's who, you know, and that's just the unfortunate reality of, of the music industry. It's, that's not just the music industry. That's every industry. Every mm-hmm. industry is who, you know, and it's, you, you can know as much as well as what, you know, is important, but who, you know, is arguably more important. Um, so it's honestly, I feel like one of, one of the jobs that we, because you know how in your band, each member's got a separate little job and they've got their role. What my, one of my main roles, apart from vocals and merch is networking. Mm-hmm. I am a talker. I am a confident person in social situations. I go up and I talk to people. I introduce myself. Like that's what I do. And I do that a lot of the time 
um just to everybody like mm-hmm. regardless of who you are i don't care if you're in a band i don't care if you're not in the band i will chat to you forever but that also means i talk to everybody which means i make connections everywhere um so we got our first show because we were so close with the bloom in the corner and they were just our best mates they were people who we'd be friends with for ages we've been going to their shows forever and they were like well fuck yeah we'll, we're gonna play our headliner come play come open that and we were like yeah sure no worries and then our second show was um a show with anticline because mm-hmm. obviously anticline are from ballarat i'm from mm-hmm. ballarat they all played in bands when we were we were all we shared all our teenage years together M- myself and the anticline guys have known each other since we were 13 and jack who plays guitar for anticline has been my best friend since i was five we went to the same primary school together we went to uh, we were best mates all through high school we went to all those shows together like i've known those guys my entire life and they gave us that show which was awesome and then the weird thing that happened was somehow word got out that our first show was pretty good from that and we got an email offer to play with make them suffer as our third show mm-hmm. and we were like mm-hmm. oh shit what is going on this is this is sick and then we played that show and then we got another offer to play the confession mm-hmm. and we were like oh shit okay well something's <laughs> something's good and then we just got these offers to play more shows. And then when the offers started dying off, we started applying mm-hmm. to everything. Like mm-hmm. we would see a tour get announced and be like, Hey, can we open this show with, this is our band. This is what we do. This is our history and all this sort of shit. Can we open your show? And a lot of the time it was a yes, because they were just looking for new bands to start off. They're always, they're always looking for new bands. So it was cool just to do that. And then we started playing cooler stuff with cooler bands and, you know, all this really sick shit. And yeah, it's just working your absolute ass off to talk to everybody and to just get to know everybody and to make connections as many places as you can, like just, and just getting to know your local music scene and looking into who is doing stuff. And then just, I just like being a part of it. I like being a part of it. I like being, being a part of it and hanging out with these people who are on the same same wavelength as me and just being able to feel confident that I'm not the only person who wants to play in a band. <laughs> Cause sometimes, you know, it feels conceited sometimes to be like, Oh, I want to get on stage and have people listen to me for 30 minutes. Like it feels, <laughs> it feels conceited, but then you realize that you're absolutely not the only person that mm. wants to do that. And then you do it and you do it to a good crowd and you realize why you want to do it. And it's, um, it's awesome just to be around people like that, that feel the same way. And that's how you get shows. Well, I think, going and, I think yeah. it is. I think the other thing you mentioned, which was the same with how you are with your vocals is not being complacent. You know, you mentioned in there, which I think is important for anyone listening Australian or not, is yes, you will get offers, but when the offers dry up, that that doesn't mean you then just sit there waiting for the next offer. You yeah, then no. got to get out. There is no pushing. waiting. No, yeah. don't wait. Like even 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 now, we still send offers hmm. stuff. Like hmm. like I mean, there's been like you know ten different tours announced between when Nause between when Nausea came out and now, and we've applied for most of them. Hmm. Like we got offered a, a lot of shows to play, which has been awesome. Like just seeing this constant offer of shows has been great because it means we're doing something right, but there's, there's the next level that we want to get to. So, and the only way we can get to that is by playing 
these shows that we we want to do too, and we want to we want to you know play cool shows with cool bands and that means that you need to work for it like i mean yeah. our current dream our current dream at the moment like what we've all kind of spoken about is we would love to open for polaris mm-hmm. and i think we would fit on there all right i think we'd be a good band to fit that bill we're not at that level yet but by fucking god we applied for every polaris show that has been announced in the past few months like you got it you yeah. got it because you don't you don't expect it to happen and it does like we applied for the knocked loose and jesus peace show in 2019 we didn't get it but we got offered to play with stray from the path and kublai khan mm-hmm. and that is still to this day a career highlight like that and our headline show are my two favorite shows we've ever played because i got to play with this band that i've just looked up to for the longest time because we put ourselves out there and that's what you that's what you gotta do you gotta put yourself out there and cool shit happens if you if you work like Dude, yeah that that phrase just at the end there is the perfect one to take away you gotta work and what you, you guys in starve do is work it helps the music is decent i mean you also that's the other thing that people need to remember <laughs> yes yeah, you, you gotta, gotta work. you gotta you gotta have something yeah relatively original yeah. and you gotta have something that's uh consumable mm-hmm. i there's at the moment i realized there's a trend at the moment and that is the listeners don't like anything that's longer than two and a half to three minutes yeah what the fuck is that about yeah i don't know i love long songs same i love long songs but but the general consensus people don't like anything over two and a half minutes and i'm fine with that because i'm happy to play a song that goes for a minute and a half (laughs) because i get very puffed out very quickly (laughs) but um yeah like I think that was a bit of our, a little bit of our, um, our sort of pull as well is that mm-hmm. when we started playing shows, we played for 15 minutes. Mm. We get given a 20 minute slot. We played for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. We get given a, you know, I remember like, I think the show that everyone kind of went, wow, that was, that was sick was when we came out of lockdown, we started playing stuff up in nausea just before it released. Yeah. And we played a show at the workers club. It was co-headliner between us and the Batic. And that show sold out, which was awesome. Show sold out in 21 hours, which is just the most insane response we've ever had. And we played that show and we played a headline set and we played for 17 minutes and it just got this massive buzz. Everyone was like, oh, they played this tiny little set and it was just fucking chaos for 17 minutes and then it was over. And that has made people want to come back and see it again. Mm-hmm. And that's just just being smart about how you how you present yourself. And it's, um, you know, marketing is so important. Presenting how you present yourself. Image is so fucking important. I mean, you look at like the most stylistic bands out there. Look at fucking Alpha Wolf. Alpha Wolf have, they have their image down pat and it is working. Mm-hmm. People love the way they look. Have you seen the amount of kids out there that are playing guitar now with face masks yeah. on just because of Sabian? Like mm-hmm. it's just so important to do that sort of thing because people look up to that stuff and they look up to style. So it's always important to be, looking out on how you present yourself and how the band presents itself and your marketing style and your editing and stuff. So it's, it's good to have themes and um, yeah. I mean, we obviously have our themes. We run a lot of bugs and centipedes and spiders and shit. We've got most of our merch is done in a purple and black color because mm-hmm. we like purple and black. Um, and it's just having consistent themes, consistent styling behind it. Like the way we dress, the way we present ourselves is very important to us. So 
yeah, it's 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 we're literally just taking everything that Slipknot did and we're doing that but now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a bad model to take off, man. I think no, no. I think something I definitely wanted to ask before I wanna really talk, you've you've mentioned a few things there that I think are important that I'll come to when I talk about nausea. And before sure. I talk about nausea, I'm gonna talk about Shiver, but my question you're talking <coughs> about short length songs, right? And a yeah. question for someone like yourself who's got his pulse on the scene, and I mean not just in the sense that you're in a band, but you go to a lot of shows, you like going to shows, you're local, you know the, the vibe, your network, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The question is, how do you explain to people who aren't Australian how fickle the fucking Australian scene can be? Because it's oh, I've tried to explain to people who aren't Australian and they, they don't understand uh, it. We are fickle in this like, fucking country. Oh, yeah, dude. It's it's ridiculous, man. People will complain to the ends of the fucking earth and then when they get something, they won't be happy with it. Yeah, they're and like, I don't just, want it anymore. Okay. Like, yeah, they don't want it. Like it's like you look at you look at Unify. People have been begging for heavy metal festivals back for the past, you know, two, two years. years. And yeah. now that we finally announced one, no one's fucking happy with it. Because <sighs> they're like, Oh, it's not what I want. Like, come off it, man. It sucks. Like we got we got Unify, which is the biggest moment in our career for us we get to play unify and god knows if that's going to fucking happen but that is the biggest moment for us and it was kind of shit to see us get this amazing festival it's our first festival it's our first big stage and 50 percent of the comments were in such oh. you know yes there was they were like yeah congrats and then the other 50 percent were like oh this lineup fucking sucks it's like man you haven't had a festival for two years just go to the fucking festival like it's not who cares who you're seeing? You get to go see live music again. Fuck, bro. It's like, <laughs> it riles me up so much. But the Australian music scene can be so unbelievably fickle. And it sucks because there's a really select group of people who are just so passionate about it. And they don't care. People like the Backbone guys and mm-hmm. the What We Did on the Weekend guys and everyone associated with that group of people. They just go. They don't care. Mm-hmm. They love music. They love the Australian scene. They love all that stuff. And it's awesome. But that is 5% of the Australian music scene and the other 95% are just so different. Mm. And it, it sucks because like, you know, we, I remember one of the things that we did was we copped all these messages to be like, Oh bro, come play Adelaide. We'd love to play Adelaide. And we played Adelaide four times. And every time we've gone there, we've played a better show and a better show and more people have come and whatever. But it's this weird thing. It's not just in Adelaide. I'm not just going to shit on Adelaide, but it's. Oh, other it is Adelaide. Well. Hang on, hang on. It is where... Adelaide. You can shit on Adelaide. Yeah, you can. I can shit in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah you cool. Can shit in so, <laughs> <laughs> so there's it's 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 dude. It's Australia wide where people will be like, yeah, come come see us, come see us, and then they just don't go. Mm. They don't rock up, mm-hmm. and they don't they don't they don't they say, yeah, come on, we want to see you. Like we'll come see you, and then you make the the effort, and it's not just the effort; it's the financial effort to mm-hmm. get there for a small band where everything we do is out of our own pockets. We don't have any funding outside of the band. Every cent that we make on merch, every cent that we make on shows, just goes back into what we're doing. We don't have any savings. We don't have any other stuff because every cent we spend is on this band, and we go there to do what people ask us to do, and then no one fucking rocks up. Yeah, it just it's like it uh, sucks. Oh. Well, International listeners, an example of this, like that Jordan's talking about, is Starve will go over there and the lineup will be four bands, right? And because person X doesn't like band three on the lineup, they go, fuck it, I'm not going. And it's like, but the yep. ticket's $6. It doesn't fucking matter. Go support the other three. 100%. If that band 100%. is on that you don't like, 
go outside and have a fag and have a drink or something while they play. Like, yeah, fucking yeah, support that's the exactly scene. it, man. Oh, fuck. The only the only place I've ever found in Australia that does the opposite of that is Brisbane. Brisbane mm-hmm. don't give yeah. a shit. They go to every band. First time we played in Brisbane, we played an AMPM mm-hmm. and we were the second band on and it was a sold out AMPM and we were the second band and we played to fucking 200 people that had no idea who we were and just losing their shit. So it was just awesome, man. It was so good to see that, but it was just nice to do that after so many disheartening attempts at other places <laughs> um, when just no one no one cares. And it's, it's the same. Like I remember like, when we played with, as, as much as I say that that show that we played with Kublai and Stray was one of my favorite shows and career highlights, we played to about 30 people. That was a sold out Stay Gold show and we played to 30 people. There's, there was 400 tickets at that show. There's the, other, <laughs> there's the other fucking reality. I was telling, um, who was I telling? One of my previous guests, um, an American guest, and we were talking about how you'll get a lineup like that. And this is for everyone listening that isn't Australian. You'll get a lineup of international and some sexy, solid Aussie support, which needs to be there because it's vital for the scene and makes sense. And Aussies, for some reason, I'd be interested, anyone who's from overseas, message me, inbox me, comment. But Australians won't watch the Aussie band and will only watch the international band. I don't... don't, Australia, wake the fuck up because you need to support your Aussie (laughs) bands because without the Aussie bands, there's no fucking music here. Like, hello. Yeah, I agree. Like, if you're you're coming to watch my band, if I'm opening for a cool show, if we're playing something and we're local support, I don't care what you're doing if you're in the room. You can go chat shit to your friends. You can go get a drink. You can fucking do whatever. But if you're just in the room, that's that's good enough for mm-hmm. me, man. Like, mm-hmm. I don't... I don't care if you're not paying attention. That doesn't bother me at all. Just, just having people there is cool. And it's, I know that because I do it as well. Like I'll, if I go to a show and there's a band, I don't know. I'll go watch them for a bit and then I'll see somebody that I know. I'll go and have a chat with them for a minute. And that's not a disrespect to the band. That's just the, that's just the scene. And I, and, but the thing is, is that doing that in that sense is if the band's playing something, there's usually a, if there's a moment that makes me stop, doing what I'm doing, turn and go, fuck, that's sick. That's going to get me into the band. That's going to be mm-hmm. the moment that clicks me into being like, this is so sick. Like, I, wait, the last show I saw before this lockdown was the the, the show with Dreg. Mm-hmm. The band that opened Dreg was a band called Banks Arcade, who are from yeah. New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, holy shit, they are unreal. Mm-hmm. Like, I was going around saying hello to everybody that I know and chatting and whatever, and every, I'd have to stop and just be like, man, this band is fucking awesome. So it's like, yeah, it's cool, man. Like, you, you got to... You gotta you gotta stop and watch the Aussies, man, because fuck, there's some cool shit there. Great shit, right? And, yeah, yeah, great shit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think some people, if they, you know, probably kicking themselves now, looking back at that Kublai show, and if they didn't fucking pay attention to Starve, because look at yeah. you, you're on fucking Unify. Um, yeah, sick. Fuck, fuck the awesome. haters. Like fuck the haters. Yeah, fuck, 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 fuck the haters. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck the haters. Um. And before I get into it, big shout out to Jace, uh, what we do on the weekend, and of course Nick yes. Brown from Frowny Town on the backbone. So yes. big shout out, the absolute thirteenth reason. Yes, absolute legends and those boys. They have been one of our biggest supporters mm. from the start. They said to us right at the beginning that we were, you know, they were so on board with us saying that we were just the best and we were doing everything that they liked. Those guys have just been the biggest supporters of us. So massive shout out to those dudes because they are the best. Very important. Um, now, we had Shiver in 2020, January, yep. and that was yep. 
to say a step up is an understatement from Mantis. Yeah. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Fucking banger. But Thanks, it's, it's um, an interesting because you see the evolution from there into nausea and it felt natural. Um, like I said to you yeah. before we started recording, yeah, you know, if you look at Mantis and you didn't tell me who the band is and then you play me nausea, I'd go, they're not the same band. I can hear elements. Yeah, two different bands, band. yeah. But yeah. the thing with nausea, what was it like for you guys going into this process? You obviously, I know you, you said you took a lot of extra time with it, but, I mean, how ultra-focused was Starve going into this EP? Because this fucking EP uh, yeah. is EP of the fucking year so far. I'll be very fucking surprised if anything beats it, which it won't. But Thank yeah. you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, we, um, yeah, dude, we just, I think with the amazing re- response we got from Shiva, we realized that we needed to do something really good. And we we weren't going to do, you know, a big 25-minute EP with all this filler shit in it. We're like, we're just going to take everything that we think is the best of what we can do and put it together. And I owe 100% of that to Alessio, our guitarist, who is just an absolute machine. Like that dude, he writes everything. Like he does everything. He does all the guitars. He does all the composition. He does everything. He does writes everything. He does it. And then he takes it into Scotty. And then Scotty just is the fucking magician. Scotty mm. will sit and he will fine tune everything. He will be like, this is great, but we can do it like this. And this is awesome. We can do it like this. Those two together are fucking geniuses. Like Alessio and Scotty together are just the reason that anything we do sounds good. They just are awesome. And having someone like Scotty who is so honest and doesn't just be like, yeah, fuck it, whatever, like this works. Mm-hmm. He will be like, no, nah, that shit, do it different. Mm-hmm. Like, and then, oh, that, that doesn't work. No, nah, scrap it. We'll come back to it later. And it's, it's awesome because Alessio wrote Nausea as one song. As you can tell, it all flows together. It's mm-hmm. one consistent EP. He wrote it as one thing. And then we kind of just chose where to chop it, which is awesome. So, yeah. um, yeah, it was really cool, man. And um, I think it was just, we all just, yeah, we just hyper-focused, man. Like, we were just so set on putting something good out. And we all put in so much more effort. Like, you know, with with Mantis, I had kind of ideas on concepts and subjects I wanted to talk about, but nothing too crazy. Shiver, I had a lot more of a solid concept, and I could tell that that helped me. So I just needed strong concepts, song, strong things for every song. And I, I wrote them down and then wrote lyrics to, to fit that. And I think it also helped the fact that we needed, because we said beforehand that we wanted some cool guest vocalists mm. on the um, on, on the EP. And I felt like we really needed to step up our game for the people that we wanted to make their spots just so much better. Like, I mean, the fact that we got Zach Hatfield from Left Behind, Left Behind are one of my favorite bands period like i fucking love that band and the fact that i could that i just i just dm'd him one day i was like hey man uh, we're in we're i'm playing a band in australia would you be interested in doing a guest spot and he was like yeah man sure and then just sent it over and it was just the most surreal experience was getting one of my favorite vocalists from one of my favorite bands to do a he's spot a on one of our songs he's a fucking nice guy too i've had him on the oh, podcast i've had him as a guest he's yeah. a fucking genuine dude and that yeah, vote that sweetheart that guest spot is sweet, but the other guest spot that's very fucking Jack. sweet too is Jackie Boy. What a fucking spot yeah. that is, man. 
He's so good, man. He's so good. And he was so good to us about that as well. Like we actually, we previously had another vocalist mm-hmm. in that guest spot. We had another guy. Some shit went down with him in hey. America. And hey. we were like, nah. Uh, it was <laughs> uh, it was Matt, Matt McDougall from Boundary. Mm. Yeah. So we had him on and we had to we had to get rid of it, unfortunately. But Jack came in. So we had Jack come in and and fill in on that spot, which was awesome. And um he just came in like like it was last minute. Like we were about to release the EP and then we had to delete that spot from that vocalist. And um we were like, fuck, we have to release this EP like in the next like month. And I literally called up Jack and I was like, hey, can you come and record a guest spot? And he's like, Yeah, man, for sure. And he did it in a day. He rocked up and he wrote it and recorded it, got it done in like 30 minutes. And I was like, this is so sick. And then we were like, we were gonna shoot a music video for Sour Times. And then we were like, what? Oh, now that we've got Jack on a song, why don't we just shoot the music video and get Jack to actually do his spot in the video? And so we did. And then we were just like, hey, Jack, would you come to Geelong, stand in a dungeon of like a bluestone <laughs> castle and let us cover you in blood? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And then he just rocked up and did it. Like he is just <laughs> the fucking best sport. He's the mm. best dude. Like I cannot commend Jack Virgin enough. That dude is the best and just having him on a song like I yeah there's not many people that um you know I can give as high a praise to as Jack Virgin that man is just the best at everything he does and he's such a genuine bloke so just having him on board was awesome so when going back to how we were talking about how we were going to write the stuff and make sure that noisier sounded good we had to make sure it sounded good for people like that mm-hmm. we had to have a section for somebody if we wanted to get people that we respected involved, we needed to give them something that we would be proud of them being on. And um, I think we did it. I, I yeah, think we did it. Oh, fuck, okay. easily did it, man. I mean, a, a question I have with, you know, we're talking about the kind of the gradual, not really gradual, it's quite dramatic shift really from Mantis to Nausea. Yeah. Was there any sense of pressure or expectation internally to deliver on the second EP because the other reality of the Australian scene is a lot of bands come out, they do one release and then they kind of fizzle, but you guys come out, you release Mantis, maybe didn't hit what you wanted to hit, but then you fucking ram it down my ear holes in a successful manner with nausea. So was there pressure? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. There's always pressure. There's always pressure on yourself you need to i mean you need to apply pressure to yourself to make sure that you're doing the best that you can um if you're slacking off on something then you don't care about it i reckon or you don't care about it enough and um we knew we wanted to make it really good and we weren't going to put it out unless we were happy with it and even now like there's songs in that ep that i don't like as much as i did when i put it out but i still respect it it's way better than anything else we've done so far. And I, I'm really happy that we did it. But the fact that I feel like we could have done songs in nausea better now means that the next thing we do is could hopefully going to be even better than that. And that's the thing about natural progression of music is that you're always going to be looking for the next better thing to do. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we want to do and how we want to push it. But um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of pressure. Like, like just within ourselves like we were beating ourselves up about making sure this was good and every aspect about it and just meticulous because we're we're a self-managed band like we have a we have a man we have a manager but he only came in after we finished nausea Mm -hmm. so it's like everything that we did up until that point was all on us and it's still basically on us like our manager tom he just kind of 
helps us do like kind of the, the the technical side of stuff. Like he helps us, you know, how to form an email offer properly and how to make a press kit and all that fun stuff. Like all the, all the, you know, how to do taxes as a band, like that sort of stuff <laughs> is what we needed him for. So it's like, we needed him for that and everything else we've done ourselves and we will do ourselves because we can and we want to and as stressful as it is like man those few months leading up to releasing that ep i was in the fucking pits man like i was like stressing myself out i was freaking out that i wasn't gonna do very well and i was like fucking like when i stress out i get like night terrors i was getting so many night terrors my girlfriend was like you need to fucking calm down i'm like no it needs to be good it needs to be good like i'm so stressed about it and um it was just yeah like it it was a lot of work and it was a lot of stress but fuck man the the pressure pays off if you don't kill yourself with it. You know, yeah. you need to you need to know when to take a step back because we we had points where where Alessio and I had to be like, all right, let's take a bit of a break from from this for a couple of weeks because we were just like it was scaring us. Like it was getting really scary because we were like we wanted it to be good and we wanted it to be and we wanted it to to make an impact. And um, I think when you hear something for so long, you don't realize the impact it has. Mm-hmm. Um, because by the time we put it out, I think a lot of people kind of messaged me and said, bro, that UAP is so heavy. I'm like, is it? I mean, we kind of just we kind of just wrote it and it didn't feel heavy when we wrote it. And then and then I think it wasn't until we played it live that I went, ah, oh, yeah, no, this is far heavier than anything else we've done. And just it's not it's not just that it's just 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 the impact of it. Like heavy heaviness aside, you know, how many blast beats and how many riffs and how many gutturals you want to put into it it's the impact of the songwriting and how it how it you know the song will start it'll progress up and up and up and up and then there'll be a section that hits and then it'll go down and then progress and then hit it's like a roller coaster and that's what we wanted we wanted a flow of ups and downs and ups and downs and that's i I think that was really important that we wanted to experiment with new sounds and stuff in the ep without it feeling out of place so yeah it was stressful man it was stressful. It was a lot of pressure for us to do the stuff we wanted to do. But then at the same point, we also have told ourselves that if there is more stuff that we want to do, we'll just do it in the next release. Like there's, mm. we're not, we're not planning, we're not planning on stopping anytime soon. Like if we want to do more cool ideas, like if I want to do a certain vocal tone, or if I want to do like a, unless you wants to write a different style of riff or like maybe we change the whole tempo of something for a minute, we can just do that next time. Mm-hmm. We're going to be we're still going to be doing it. Like we're not going to, we're not going to stop. Like we have no stopping. is just not in our vision at all. We want to, we want to do it and we want to do it until we can't. So I think yeah. what's, what's also really amazing about nausea is you guys with this EP, you know, we previously talked about like attention spans with song lengths and stuff. But what I find interesting with nausea is it was released to be consumed from front to back. So I yeah. really recommend anyone that's, which will be listening to that EP after this in any aspect, try and go from track one to track five, six, 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 go from front to back because it actually has this, this momentum and rhythm to it. And I love that you guys have done that. You know, it's kind of become a dying art. I feel that many bands don't feel that there's a need for the flow. They just need to throw a bunch of singles into an EP and then just fucking, there you go, there's six singles in whatever order. That is really well done. But the other thing that you guys did that's even sexier is 
you were a band that I would say, I mean this in a polite way, there was no hype, right? I wouldn't say there was any real hype. Then, yeah. before you even release Nausea, the hype train is fucking smashing through that station. Everyone's fucking talking about you. The EP drops. You're doing headline shows now at Stay Gold and stuff. You're getting the support and the backing you deserve. But fuck, man, how on earth did you guys go from no one really sure who you are to building up that hype to release Nausea? Because you really are the self-hype bros. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what that's what Brownie said to it said about us on his uh, on their podcast about how um, he said that we kind of we bullied our way onto Unify, which is kind of true. Yeah, we um, we 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 kind of just pushed ourselves as hard as we could to do it. Um, you deserve think, to be there, man. Before before you keep you, going, man. you deserve to be there. So carry on, <laughs> thank carry you, on. Um, I think I think we, you know, I think a lot of it is marketing and social media is a big part of it Mm -hmm. um people like content regardless of what the content is people like content and i love when bands do weird content whether that is videos whether it's behind the scenes stuff whether it's you know cool merchandise ideas being original with all that sort of shit we try and come up with with interesting stuff right so we i am obviously running merch and stuff so i wanted people to get behind the hype of us not just because of our music but because of the image because of everything that comes with it so we needed to come up with cool merchandise ideas which having good merch will get you more people Mm -hmm. without a doubt Mm -hmm. i think if i see a band shirt that i like i will most likely check out that band based on if i like the shirt and I think that's really important. And that's what we've done a lot. Like we do a lot of weird merch stuff. Like we do a lot of, we've done a lot of women's specific stuff. We did, but we did like exercise bike shorts. We did like cropped hoodies. All our shirts we've done have been like either odes to old 2008 deathcore shirts or like something just new, something different and having stuff that looks good, not only as a piece of merch, but as like just everyday streetwear. Like that's, that's a very big part of it. So having people walking around in our merch was a really big part of trying to get people hyped about us. And it, it worked, man. Like we did, we did a t-shirt recently. We did a, a, a long sleeve shirt that had the, the reverse bear trap from saw on it, which was sick. But then what we also did was we put a QR code on the long sleeve so that if you scan the QR code, it takes you to our Spotify. So <laughs> it, was like, it was cool. Like we, it, it worked because we had people tell us, be like, yo, some guy at a bar came up to me and grabbed my sleeve and scanned my QR code just to see what it was. And I was like, well, fuck, yes. It worked. Yes, excellent. <laughs> so just like having people talk about us when we're not present is really big. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we really wanted to do. And then it was you know, getting our friends who do videos and photos and stuff to come along and do videos. Like we got our friend Ariani to come to a video recap of our uh, AMPM show. We got our mm-hmm. friend Nick Vidlar to come do a recap of that headline show at um, Workers Club. And he filmed our entire set for our headline show because, mm-hmm. you know, we love we love Sunny at 856. So we were like, we want to do something like that because there's no one in Australia who really does that. So we spoke to the people that can. And we got it done. We got it made. We got the hype going. That's what we wanted. And it was just about really trying to get everyone's attention and hold it because bands will release an EP 
and it'll be awesome or an album and it'll be awesome. And then they do nothing and everyone forgets about it. And we did not want that to happen. So we did, you know, a lot of marketing and a lot of social media and stuff just consistently since we've started. We haven't, it's been a steady enough pace that it's not annoying, but it's cool enough content that people don't get bored of it. And I think it did get to the point when we released the EP where we decided that we, we had a marketing plan, right? We sat down for the EP. Alessio and I sat down and we wrote out a month, like a date month of what we were going to do, what we were going to post on that day, how it was going to come out. Da, 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 da. We sat down, I think we started writing the plan at 6 p.m. And I think we ended with scheduling every single Facebook post for about, I think it was the better part of, shit, I think we finished at three in the morning and we just did everything like it was just hours and hours where we just wrote and did everything and we finished it and by the time we finished we were just like oh for fuck's sake this better work and then (laughs) it's like we did it but it got to the point where we were posting almost every day which is annoying to some people but in ep release month it's what you need to do because if one of those posts gets out to three new people then those three new people that's it that's enough that's Mm -hmm. what we need we need those people to listen to us um so just gaining the hype, gaining hype that way was really important and trying to get it done that way was, was super important. Yeah. I think also something that was important was I don't want to talk about COVID and lockdowns because everyone fucking knows about COVID and lockdowns, no matter where in the fucking yeah. world you are. But what I think was important, and it's been something I've talked with so many guests, not every guest, but occasional guests was you know, last year and this year, we haven't seen a lot of bands release music because a lot of them say, you know, we can't tour off the back of it. We can't play many shows off the back of it. But some bands yeah. like yourselves, you still have taken the idea and option to, in a good way and I think a very smart move, there's not a lot of shit out there that's new. So let's give someone, yeah. let's give people who want new music some fucking new music. Really smart move. Yeah. And was that in, did you at any stage think maybe we'll hold off or did you think, nah, let's just fucking get it out there? Uh, yeah. So we, we, we thought about holding off for a bit because there's, there is definitely a dead period. Mm. Um, there's a period where you shouldn't release music because it is just not going to get the hype that it needs. Um, main one of which is, um, uh, I'd say is you can't, can't release music around December mm-hmm. um, because it's Christmas time and everything gets lost in the algorithm and whatever. But um, you like, there's, there's absolutely a point where you shouldn't release music and that's around then. And then there's also tours getting announced and festivals getting announced around December and January. So it's, it's hard. It's hard because everything gets lost in, mm-hmm. in social media. Um, so we have to hold off on that sort of, that sort of thing. Um but I think it got to the point where we just decided that we didn't really want to hold off anymore because everybody was holding off. Um, and we were like, well, nobody, nobody's putting out music at the moment. So fuck it. We'll, we'll, we'll drop it. And I think the original plan was we were going to drop it in September of 2019. And then we dropped it in March of 2020 Mm. because we're in lockdown and we can play shows and whatever. And we dropped it in March because we were like, all right, shows are back. Let's start putting it on. And I think we decided five weeks out, from dropping it that we were going to drop it hmm. so we got all our, all our assets ready everything got put together very very quickly and we decided to release it i think yeah it was like five five weeks out which is very short um because usually we plan it out for about 
probably eight to nine weeks mm-hmm. and we did it in five and we did it in five. Um, that includes all our social media, everything we were going to post, you know, we got our artwork finished in that point in time. We got vinyl pressing underway. We got merch designs made. We got pre-orders ready. We got our website, like our, our like um, merch store ready. We started planning everything got super meticulously planned up until that point. So yeah, holding off, holding off was a big part of it, but we also held off until we realized that we couldn't and then we just did it. <laughs> I love it, man. You know, I've, I've praised you enough times that I think your head's big enough, but I mean everything I've said throughout <laughs> this, dude. You know, you as someone who's an older head, an older generation, I can notice when bands and people like yourselves not only have the want and the passion, but you are taking the right steps. You're using the steps in a smart, meticulous way, which it needs to be. So seeing all of this reception and reaction to Nausea is deserved because you guys are working for it, but the music's banging. And then I'm even more excited as you are and as you should be because you deserve announcements like Unify Forever. So anyone who's not Australian, Unify Forever is, Unify basically is the Australian camping heavy music festival or music festival. And Starve recently, literally recently got announced on it. Dude, and it's onwards and upwards and I'm fucking stoked for you, man. Um, Thank you, man. Um, and here's to whatever's next. Um, cheers, man. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're super, super excited about Unify. Unify is, it's the biggest, the biggest point in our career for us so far was announcing that we were playing Unify. Like, I mean, our biggest show we played was just over, you know, 200 tickets and, um, you know, now the biggest show that we will have played will be 7,000 tickets. So it's, it's. It's scary, man. It's scary. And I think that would be the point where we figure out how many people actually give a shit because that'll be, you'll be able to tell when we look out because we're, you know, we always envisioned ourselves as like a Saturday unify, as a, a Thursday, you know, pre-party unified mm-hmm. band, like we'll play on the small stage and whatever. And yeah, now we're playing main stage on the Saturday, which is <laughs> a bit sick. of a, bit of a, a, a cool reality to wake up to. It's sick, man. Um, it's fucking sick. It's awesome. And the yeah, music, it's awesome. the it's music will cool. work for it. Like the two steps yeah, and the mosh so. parts, like oof. Well, oof. it's like the thing is, is that between the the in, I know a lot of people. The main issue with a lot of people and Unify is they complain it's not heavy enough, and they're like, oh, it's a heavy, it's a heavy gathering, but there's no heavy bands. Man, between us, Gravemind and Alpha Wolf, and fucking like even Bloom there's that's that's heavy bands if you want heavy bands go see the heavy bands if you don't care and you want to go for a festival just go for the festival but there are so many super super talented bands on that lineup i I think somebody said jace from what we did on the weekend said that people who don't go to local shows are pissed off about the lineup and people who go to local shows are stoked on the lineup because that lineup is currently what the like Australian sort of not, not, I'm not going to say metal is like a, a broad term, but the, the, the alternative music scene is currently that at the moment, which is awesome. It is. It's a great lineup. And he, Jace is right. It, it is a sexy lineup. The only thing on that whole lineup I don't like, and it's my own opinion is Amity Affliction. I do not. (laughs) I think it's great. It's a lovely mix of local stuff, and I think that's also the reality with the world the way it is. You want Unify. This is the Unify you can have, and don't complain. You wanted it. Here the fuck (laughs) is. Yeah, that's it. 
Um, people uh, begged for it, and here it is. Don't be pissed off now that you've got it. Like, yeah, it's yeah, it's well, and unfortunately, um, yeah, the only downside will be that you'll have to hear about drowning in the ocean, um, by Joel, uh, and the Amity affliction. Uh, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. If 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 they do if they do what they should do, which is a ten year chasing ghost set, then it'll be fine. But I mean, they did say they were going to do a fifteen year anniversary set three years ago, and they played three old songs and then all new stuff. So yeah, look, it's, <laughs> look. I, I, Look, I'm I'm really in the minority here, but I wouldn't even want them to play Chasing Ghosts. I just don't want them to play. Yeah, I just don't like. Just I like, don't I like, like a fan. I like Summer Chasing Ghosts. I just I, I grew up on I grew up on uh, Stevatiz and, and Youngblood, so we'll um, hopefully they play some stuff off that. But we'll we'll see. But um, it's I all, mean, there's still more bands to be announced, man. Who yeah, knows? maybe some maybe some other big people will join the lineup. I reckon Hearts Wake will play it. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Like they didn't tell us the lineup before it dropped. Um. So we don't know who's playing. Yeah, um, I think you'll have in. So hearts. it's just speculation. Yeah, yeah, it's probably. Look, anyway, look. Even if if we know more bands are announced, and even if that was it that was announced, that's still a great lineup that's already announced. So, um, yeah, it's awesome, man. Aussies out there, if you're thinking, umming, ahhing, um, just just fucking do it, man. It's sick. It's a great weekend. I'm too old now for it. That's the only reason I don't go. I went for the first four years, and now I'm what t- knocking on the door of forty. Bit too much for me. Plus, I live in Queensland, so it's a bit too far away. From yeah, that'll me. do it. Um, yeah, I've been to I've been to every unifier for every unifier except for the first one. It's just awesome to know that you know I've been to every one of them except for the first one, and I've stood and watched every band that I love play that stage, and now I get to do it as well, which is very surreal and very cool. Um, but it's uh it's just cool because I remember the last Unify, Unify 20, 2019, Alessio and I were standing watching uh Kublai Kai and uh, Kublai Khan and straight from the path and we went, Oh fuck, we get to play with those guys in like nine days. That's so sick. And like watching, you know, two thousand people watching fucking straight from the path, just bouncing stuff. And I was like, Man, this is just so cool, man. It's so sick. So we got a lot of work to do before we hit that stage. We got a lot of a lot of practice, a lot of a lot of conversations that we got to have, a lot of figuring out how to get this set as good as we possibly can. But um, yeah, I think we'll I think we'll do it the same way we've done everything, which is just work our ass off. Yeah, and look, you know, you've this a big milestone and a deserved milestone playing Unify, and then the next milestone is opening for Michael Bolton, and then you can retire. <laughs> I, mean, that's it. I would love to I would love to open for Michael Bolton Imagine peak, peak 90s blonde mullet Michael Bolton yeah. that's, that's the one well actually the peak gig would be uh, Michael Bolton with Kenny G um, yep and, yeah and they just circle pit I'll before come out, I'll, I'll come out and, uh, and, and sing and sing pitch screams to when a man loves a woman and it'll oh, be perfect why can't we oh, oh here we go folks let's make it happen Get Bolton over here. Um, now, Jordan, we're going to wrap things up with the same way oh. that 170 odd guests have had. Um, awesome. Everyone gets the same segment. It's called Pick Your Poison. It is a segment. Sure. It's a segment where you get your choice of two items. You pick your favorite of the two. You do not need to justify your answer, but you are welcome to justify your answer. Sure. Now, sure. All right, shoot. Pizza or burger? Burger. Okay. Absolutely, burger. Chicken or beef? Chicken. Okay. 
ladies and gentlemen. He's finding it a bit easy at the moment, but we'll see how we go. Um, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Oh, Chinese. I had uh, I had I had a uh, a butter chicken a few years ago that uh, almost killed me with salmonella. So I, oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of having a version to that now. <laughs> um, soft taco or crunchy taco? I think it depends on the taco. I think it depends what what your filling is. I think it, I think it's I, I I like I like I like soft. I think soft are good, but also I like crunchy if it's if it's the right the right filling. It just depends where I'm getting it from. I think. But the problem, okay, my argument with the crunchy taco is it's a violent fucking food because you rip the fuck out it of is. your gums. Like, what's the point? Oh yeah, um, I don't know. It's kind of just like eating a, a Dorito with a, with a taco dip. Ooh, well answered. Oh, I like that. Thank Ooh, you. Swap. Thank you. Oh, hello. Um, <laughs> smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Oh, crunchy. If you like really? peanut butter, you're a, fuck, you're a fucking psychopath. Yeah. Smooth peanut butter is not peanut butter. Smooth peanut butter is peanut paste. And if you don't like peanut, <laughs> if you don't like peanut butter with, with the crunch in it, you're, you're, you're a serial killer. <laughs> but then what about, what about your piece of bread that gets ripped apart by the chunks in your peanut butter? Yeah, that's that's the beauty of it. Well, you're gonna you have just, holes in it. You gotta, yeah, but it's, those holes are filled with delicious crunchy peanut butter. What's oh, the okay. issue? <laughs> okay, okay, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Um, would you like a Mars bar or a Snickers? Mars, definitely Mars. Okay. I like Mars bars. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can of Coke or a can of Pepsi? Uh, uh, Coke, yes. Pepsi Max, yes. Pepsi, no. I think I like Pepsi Max more than I like Coke. Okay. Okay. Would yeah. you would you rather if you were going to have a Coke would you have it out of a glass bottle or a plastic bottle? Glass, absolutely. Yeah. Glass. Fuck yeah. Yeah. There's no there's 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 no there's no question on that one. Yeah. It's just so it's it's the only drink that hurts you when you drink it, but you want to keep drinking more. Yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> you drink it and it hits you in the chest and you're like, ah, and you pull that like post-Coke sit face. You're like, ah, and then it's, but you want to keep going. <laughs> um, do you start your day off with a coffee or a tea? Coffee, 100%. Yeah. I'm a coffee man. I, I drink probably uh, two to three coffees a day. I love I drink black coffee. I either drink long, ice long blacks or regular long blacks, and that's it. I love black coffee. What about cereal or toast? Uh, toast. I like toast a lot more. Just classic classic butter and Vegemite is my go-to. But um, I don't think I've had cereal in a long time. I think last time I had cereal, I was probably in high school, and I just used to eat a lot of Cocoa Pops. But, yeah, <laughs> okay. I like toast. Um, beer or a whiskey? Absolutely beer. I love beer. Um, I have a really nice bottle of whiskey that one of my friends gave me for my 21st and it's still sitting on the shelf because I don't want to open it until I learn how to appreciate whiskey. Yeah, it's quite a thing about whiskey. Yeah, you, you buy an expensive beer, you're not really bothered because you just, you'll have it. Like, But a bottle yeah, of whiskey, 100%. if it's expensive, yeah. you want to make sure it's consumed correctly. So. Yeah, Alessio, Alessio is a whiskey, a whiskey snob. And he will sit and just like love. He loves whiskey. Like he'll sit and he'll he'll have his um his special whiskey with like his little his little rocks and stuff. And he'll like <laughs> smell it and let it go. And I'm like, I just don't get it. But I'm hoping one day I do, so I can learn to appreciate it as much as as much as other people do. <laughs> um, you're having your last ever meal. Do you want to have it at home or out at a restaurant? 
Um, probably out, to be honest. I, um, I spend a lot of time at home. I play a lot of video games and stuff and just do nothing. So I think if I'm going to eat, uh, I think if I'm going to eat some really nice last, last meal, uh, before I kick the bucket, I'd probably like to go out to some real nice fancy restaurant and, and get all dressed up and do that. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, new movie comes out. Uh, do you want to sure. see it at the cinema or watch it on the couch? Oh, cinema. I love the cinema. My, um, my partner works part time at, at the at the cinemas, so hey. we go all the time. Get free free tickets and go there. And yeah, we 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 love going to see new movies and stuff. It's a very very big part of what we do. But um, obviously during lockdown we can't do shit. But the minute that cinemas reopen, we we will be back. We go all the time. Love going on the movies. Would you uh, rather spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? Um, I'm going to say beach cause I love the beach, but I went to the snow for the first time a few years ago and I absolutely loved it. I'd never been snowboarding before and I managed to pick it up in a day and I think I'd like to go back and do it again. Cause it was heaps of fun, but I do like the beach cause I spent most of my childhood holidays at the beach. I'm a, I'm a snorkeling fiend. If mm. I'm at the beach, I will be out snorkeling. There's like a, there's a shipwreck near a place. I like to go camping and I like to go snorkeling like every day out of the shipwreck and just see what I can find. Oh, so yeah. yeah. Love that. Fuck yes. Um, cat or dog? Dog. But I mean, if you're giving me you're giving me the option between cat or dog. I'll say dog. But if I'm talking about any, if I get to choose another, uh, my pets because I have a lot of lizards and snakes. I, I keep a lot, and I got fish and stuff. So if I could pick, I'd say lizards because I've got like I think I've got. 12, 12 lizards. I've got 12 lizards. I've got a snake. I've got like, I've got five really big like fish. Um, yeah. So anything with scales. I like everything with scales. I've got, I like, I like my reptiles and stuff. Um, PlayStation or Xbox? Uh, PlayStation forever. Absolutely. I, um, I, I grew up on, I grew up on PlayStation one and then PlayStation two and then PlayStation three. And then I got an Xbox 360 and then sold it within a month and then bought a PS4. And, um, (laughs) I play so much video games. Like I, it's one of my favorite pastimes to do. I play so much and I spend just constant time on my PlayStation. So yeah. have you been lucky enough to get a five yet? No, not yet. I, um, I'm, I, I have had, I've had the option, but I'm putting off getting a PlayStation five until I get a new TV. Cause there's no point in me getting a PlayStation five that runs 4k unless my TV can run 4k and my TV is just an old ultra HD one from like 2010. So yeah, see, I'm not going to get one until I get a new TV. I was lucky to get, I got one. I haven't got a good TV, but um, yeah, the wife was able to grab one. There was like 20 available at a good guys in Brisbane. So she went and did the, awesome. she did a two hour round trip uh, for me. So yeah. um, forever grateful. Awesome. Awesome. It, it is. It's Very sexy. good. It'll be worth the wait. It'll be worth the wait. Yeah. And, and also in terms of between PlayStation and Xbox, PlayStation just has way better exclusives just mm-hmm. in general. Like Xbox has Gears of War and Halo and that's, that's about it. it. Whereas, whereas uh, you know, PlayStation's got so much because it's got Uncharted, it's got fucking um, God of War, it's got my favorite game series of all time, which is Ratchet and Clank. It's oh. got uh, Jack and Daxter. It's got, you know, all that, all that fun stuff. Um, Terminator franchise or Predator franchise? Uh, I have Predator tattooed on my hand. Safe to say, um, it's Predator. <laughs> Safe to say, it's Predator. Yeah, so absolutely Predator. Um, I mean, I love Terminator. T two is one of the best action movies of all time, but the Predator franchise is 
I got I got into Predator before I got into any other like film franchise. Like I think I've seen the first Predator film more times than any other movie. Um, okay. And I love Predator One. I love Predator Two. I love Predators with Adrian Brody. We don't talk about the Predator from 2019 because that is the worst fucking film that's ever been made. But, yeah, but um, what about Alien? Yeah. What about AVP? Alien versus Predator. I've got I've got Alien on the other hand. Okay. 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 I, um, yeah, I love I love Alien. I love AVP. AVP is so much fun. Even AVP two, which was you know rubbish and terrible American, but it was just fun. It was just fun, and I liked it. Um, I love the Alien films, even the latest Alien films like uh, Prometheus and Covenant. People yeah. hated it. I really liked them. Yeah, they're great. Um, yeah, I think I get, I love those movies, man. Yeah, I'm a big 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 movie nerd. Yeah. Uh, what about Rambo or Rocky franchise? Um. Probably Rambo because I like I like Best Blood a lot. Um, I didn't really grow up on Rocky. Hey, I didn't I, I didn't oh. watch it till I was like I don't think I watched it till I was like twenty. And then I I think I watched Rocky one. Like like I watched the first Rocky movie when I think I was like fifteen, but I just didn't care for it. Um, and I just liked um, yeah. I think I just yeah I, yeah, I like Rambo a lot more because was it like is it like Rambo two or three where he punches the guy's heart out? And, um, I think it's three. I think that's that three. Three, yeah. He punches, he pulls the guard heart out. Yeah, that, yeah, that was sick. Or... <laughs> Is that the one where he's he's uh he's on he's on the hill with the with the big minigun? He's like just takes out like fucking two hundred people. Yeah, that was sick. <laughs> I agree with you. Rambo is far better. But the only thing the Rambo did wrong was they came back and did that new one or recent one two years ago or three years ago. And it's... Oh, the last blood. It's, yeah. Yeah, but it's cool. taken. It's basically taken, but with Sly Stallone. It's it's taken with Sly, but Sly's had so much work done that you can't see his face. Oh, and he can't, he can't so. fucking... He can't even string a sentence together now. He's had, <laughs> he's been hit that many times in the fucking face, too. Oh, my God. Oh. It's just the whole movie him just going... Oh, that's it. <laughs> One of the few American movies you need subtitles for. There's your fucking thing. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Rambo, hundred percent. Um, Commando, if I if I could with with the honey. <laughs> ooh, yeah, ooh. yeah. Commando was sick. Uh, yeah. What about? Would you rather have James Bond or Jason Bourne in your corner? Uh it depends which James Bond. There's there's a, there's a lot out there. Um, Let's say Daniel Craig. Let's say Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, yeah, probably, probably, probably Daniel Craig. Probably Daniel Craig is James Bond. Uh, Jason Bourne is a badass, absolutely. But um, I think I just like the Bond movies a bit more. I think the Bond the Bond movies are sick, but um, the Bond movies have like even the old ones have this just like this kind of class to them, which is really nice. Like it's just it's just quite good. I've said to people that I think the only reason I'm not you know I wouldn't pick Jason Bourne because. He comes off like someone who's had just a few too many shrooms or bongs in his day because he's so fucking paranoid, <laughs> man. You'd be sitting he's down. Jaded. To, yeah, he'd be sitting down to eat and he'd be like, they're watching us. I'm like, fuck, man, just eat your fucking yeah. burger, dude. Just chill the fuck <laughs> out. Like, relax, man. I like, um, I also think I just like, uh, shit, which one was the Pierce Brosnan one where he's on the, it opens on the snowmobile? Is that Goldeneye? Um, or is that the one after? I think it might be Golden Eye, where he is on the snowmobile, and um, just that whole opening sequence was sick. So if I could have Pierce Brosnan or Daniel Craig on, on my on my side, I'd probably be be down with that. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars, hundred percent Star Wars. Star Trek, Star Trek is good, but I didn't grow up on it. 
Mm. Um, Star Wars, I, oh, I fucking love Star Wars, man. I have loved Star Wars since I was a kid. I used to dress up as Jedis and clone troopers and Siths and shit as a, as a kid. So I, um, yeah, absolutely Star Wars, man. Star Wars is the best. South Park or Simpsons? Oh, South Park. I love South Park. I think, I think South Park now, Simpsons between like season two and like eight, Mm-hmm. is probably like those those seasons are probably the ones that i like i probably like those collectively more than i like south park but south park has just gotten better which i didn't think it would do like the last recent seasons of south park have been so good because they've just they've stopped doing you know the whole family guy style of one episode with a very loose story and having jokes around it now there's just a consistent story arc over the past like four seasons and it's been awesome like it's so good. There's just this whole joke in the latest season of South Park where it's literally just them going, hey, fuck you. And I think it's the funniest thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's so good. It's very, very good. Um, now, a couple of music ones. Slayer or Pantera? Sure. Pantera. Nice. Um, Pantera, yeah. Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Oh, that's a hard one. Um. I'm going to go with Cannibal Corpse because I love Cannibal Corpse. I think um, Time to Kill is like one of my favorite death metal albums of all time. Um, uh, but Black Dahlia, fuck man, Black Dahlia is so sick. I, the most I've ever been told I look like anyone was that I look like Trevor Sternad from mm. Black Dahlia Murder. But that was when I had, I because I used to have hair down to my stomach. And so when I had really, really long hair and, you know, I was on stage screaming and stuff, everyone would just be like, fuck, you look like Trevor Sternad. So I've got a, a soft spot for Trevor because we, we, we're, we're long lost doppelgangers. But um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I have to go Cannibal Corpse because they're just so influential, so influential. What about Hatebreed or Throwdown? Oh, Hatebreed. Hatebreed all the time. They have put out consistently good music since day one i don't think they have a bad record that latest album they did is so fucking good it's so it. good Can't beat it. um yeah. next one despised icon or thy art is murder oh thy art thy art i like despised icon um but i've never seen them before i think i've seen thy art is murder more than i've seen any other band um i yeah. think i've seen thy art probably pushing like well over 20 25 times now i've seen um, i've seen parkway two times more than thy art and i've seen parkway in the nearly mid to late 20s times so, yeah 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 i reckon it's the same, I reckon it's the same for me with thy art i've seen thy art more than any other band but also thy art were one of the main reasons i wanted to play in a band mm-hmm. um and like like CJ has been one of my biggest vocal inspirations, which I'm absolutely sure you can hear in our music is how much I take a lot of inspiration from CJ. There's like certain lines. Like I remember there was like one point that we were recording nausea and I stopped and I went, fuck, that sounds like CJ. And they went, yeah, it does. And then we went, yeah, cool. Put it in. That's sick. That's <laughs> awesome. Let's do that. So um, yeah, I mean, hate is one of my favorite albums of all time. We, when we sent off Nausea to get mixed, we sent it to Lance Prince and we said to Lance, can you make the drums sound like hate? And he's like, yeah, I'll give it a go. And then he just did exactly that. And it sounds so good. Um, so yeah, probably Thy Art like through and through. I love that band. They're so good. What about uh, Limp Biscuit or Corn? That's really hard. Um, 
Shit, let me think. Um, let me other think. Um, probably limp. Oh no, no, it's corn. It's got to be corn. I like. I think because corn, I got into first. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely corn. Okay. Um. Now last three. Now or last yep. four. Sorry. The, let's say shows are back. There's no limitations, no barriers, no security. Anything goes, anything you want. Would you rather see stage dives happening or mic grabs happening? Um, probably. Um, let me think. Um, I think stage dives more than anything else. I love stage dives. I would love to see like just countless, countless stage dives just back and forth. Um, that's that's the stuff that I really really like about um about American shows is I see people just lose their shit. So that was one of the main reasons that we wanted to film our first like our major headliner set, our first main headline set um was because we wanted just that hate five six sort of vibe mm. where you watch shows and people just losing their shit and crowd shots and everything and yeah so I think probably stage dives is what I what I prefer um especially because we're the sort of band that um we're the sort of band that wants just full chaos during our show like people just stage diving and moshing and just doing everything they can so yeah now I know the next one I know what the answer will be but you're going to go to a show do you want to watch it from the pit or do you want to watch it from up the back by the sound desk Look, honestly, I'm a bit of both. Um, I will watch a lot of bands, not not quite back. I'll definitely be closer to the pit, but a lot of the time, I spend most of most shows that I watch, unless I'm, I can't, I don't mosh as much as I used to. But when I did, I would be, you know, in the pit, like throwing down hands and stuff. And I'll still do that for a lot of bands. But honestly, most of the time when I'm watching a band, I'll stand just to the side of the pit so i'm not getting shoved but i'm comfortable enough that i can just watch the band and sing along mm-hmm. um yeah there's a sweet spot there's a sweet mm-hmm. spot and it's usually just just like three people in from the edge of the pit mm-hmm. that's the good one mm-hmm. that's the good one yeah. um second last one is one that they need to exist together but let's imagine they exist in their own right would you rather simply tour for the rest of your life or simply record yeah. music for the rest of your life? Um, hmm. I don't know, because we haven't, we haven't really toured that much to, to begin with. We, we're setting up our first... Well, we, we were setting up two tours that were supposed to happen, which have now one of them has been cancelled and the other one's been postponed and we haven't been able to announce it yet. So I don't even know what touring feels like, to be honest. We go interstate and play interstate shows, but... um. But just I mean, imagine it know. was non-stop interstate shows all the time, interstate. I I think I'd probably like to do that. I mm. like the I like the I like being on the road with my best mates and hanging out and you know just like doing fun shit. Like I I I miss playing shows with my mates interstate more than I miss anything else. Like just being able to go in either a car or hiring a van with another band and just going and doing some cool shit and going to places I haven't been before and hanging out at my friends' places and eating crappy, you know, truck stop food. Like that's, that's, that's the shit I like. So probably that. And the last one is the only triple one. I'm going to give you, okay. I'm going to give you Iowa, but the way I give mm-hmm. it to you is the only way you can listen to it. Do you want it on CD, vinyl or on your phone? 
probably just on my phone man like i've i there's like you can just take it everywhere like it's just you know streaming services or buying it on itunes or whatever it's just the most accessible form of music and there's a reason that everybody has their music on spotify man um so yeah probably on my phone because i can just take it with me everywhere um if you can find it on vinyl i'll take it on vinyl because it doesn't exist it's so hard to get a hold of so <laughs> i have a i'm a i'm a very avid vinyl collector i've got a i've got a nice big collection but uh slipknot is not something that i've been able to hunt down very easily on vinyl so yeah um well dude first things first um we fuck we smashed it for time like we've gone way over but that is <laughs> i i like that i love that you know i really awesome. appreciate that uh, first thing I'm going to say, thank you, a lot of love, a lot of respect, and a lot of appreciation. The other thing I'm going to say, thank you for not only sticking with this, you know, we finally got it done, but also thank you for giving me, you know, your time and your energy and your focus for this, for this amount of time. Um, yeah, and look, thank you for gracing me with your presence on my show. Um <laughs> Look, uh, yeah, dude, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, thanks for having me on. Um, thanks for your patience in attempting to get this done. But uh, thank you very much for, for having me on. It's, um, yeah, I mean, the amount of people and the, just the caliber of people you've had on this show, it's, uh, I felt I feel very privileged to be on here. So thank you, man. Oh, dude. Uh, pleasure's all mine. But look, thank you. Um, you have an epic day, brother, and um, I'll stay in touch. Thank you. You too, man. I appreciate it. All right. Later, brother.
So that was my chat with Jordan of Starve. And at the end there, the first track you heard was Sour Times. Second track you heard was On Account of My Emptiness. And the final track you heard was Spirit in the Well. All three of those tracks feature on the band's most recent EP titled Nausea. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the music at the end there, or you enjoyed that conversation, now's your chance. Jump online, download it, consume it, get into that discography. If you're into physicals, make sure you get into Starve's social media, find a link, get yourself a CD or a vinyl. And lastly, if you're into merch... Do the same again. Get onto Starve's social media. Get yourself a shirt, a hoodie, or some shorts. Whatever you got to do, make sure you back Jordan and the guys from Starve. Make sure you get on board with the band before it blows up. I need to take this moment to thank Jordan again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. I'll stay in touch. Let's do a part two very soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 175. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. 
Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.